trying. That's relatable right there. <clears throat> so, like, one of the things about us, and I've always been very vocal about it, is, uh, like, we're not afraid to be different, right? We're, we're in a place and in a position where, like, in this country, we have the most connectivity that we've ever had, right? We have the ability, literally, if you want to talk to anybody, it's one click away, right? We're as connected as we've ever been, but within the church, we, we have as much discourse and disconnection as we've ever had. So one of the things that, that in my personal opinion, and you know, what does an opinion count for? But in my opinion, one of the things that, that we're lacking is having our kids involved, right? And a lot of places, you, like, you ship the kids off, and then it's almost like babysitting, right? You just babysit them, and then you'll come back and get them later. Like, we have our kids in here for worship, and whether they're actively participating or not, if you don't, if you don't realize it, they're act, whether they want to admit it and they're actively participating, they're catching it, right? So we'll have Finley who, let's just be honest, it doesn't look like he's paying much attention, right? But on the car ride to school on Monday mornings, uh, I'm fortunate that on Mondays I get to take both my, my boys, uh, so that's kind of our little thing. But on the way there, Finley will sing these same songs that it didn't look like he was paying a lick of attention to, right? And, and on Mondays, he says his little prayer, and his prayer's always got to do with... It, it's always wanting other people to be alike, right? He's last on his prayer list. So the same kid that looks like he is totally unplugged, right? And I know that with my kid, if he... If he looks like he's, he's not plugged in, but he's still absorbing it, right? All of our kids are absorbing it. So that, that's one of the things with, with me is that I've been very vocal about is that I would rather be in here worshiping with kids screaming and absorbing it than having our kids disconnected from us, right? Because that's exactly it's, it's what's happening in our households. We send kids away for screen time and they're disconnected from us. I was going to save this to the very end uh, to share a statistic with you, but this is alarming, like alarming. So in 1989, we in the U.S. averaged 3.75 Bibles per household. Okay? Now hold on to this. So 2021, we averaged 4.3 Bibles per household. Looks like we should be heading in the right direction, right? Like we want to be more connected than ever before, right? All right, it's about to get scary though. In these same households for 2021, there's an average of 11 connected devices. Connected devices are phones, tablets, computers, smart TVs, anything that allows you access to the great unknown that is the internet, right? So there's 11 of those per household. Obviously, I don't have to tell you guys, but in 1990, there was less than one of those per household, right? So our connectivity, so if you think about this, 4.3 Bibles. So if there's 11 connected devices per household, in reality, we're close to, we could have 15. Because each of those connected devices can be a Bible. But is that what you use it for? There we go, Right? Here is where the statistic gets alarming. Alarming. 96% of households 
report daily usage of connected devices. Sounds about right, right? All right. 36% of those households admit to Bible usage or reading less than one time per year. That's, this is from Barna. That is the leading Christian research group, right? This is from Barna. This is a stark, this is a stark indication of where we are going as a country. We have the most access that we have ever had to the Word of God, and we are the most disconnected from the Word of God that we have ever been as a country. When, when we introduce this idea of, uh, of, of going through the book of Jude, most people kind of have this like kind of weird face, right? Because we admit it. How many of us have ever even just sat and spent time in the book of Jude, right? And then we kind of let everybody kind of take a glance over at it, and you're like, hey, how could this apply to us? He's talking about apostasy, right? And he's talking about all these false teachers within the church. That doesn't sound anything like today, right? I think we all kind of giggled a little bit at that one. So I'm going to read for us our, our verse of Scripture for today. Uh, if you want to join with us in Scripture, we're going to be in the book of Jude as our main text. Uh, and I'm reading from the New King James today, so it might look a little different if you're using a majority text Bible like your NIV, uh, NLT, anything like that. Uh, verse 24 says, Now to him who is able to keep you... Remember this word keeps appearing for us, right? So this word, keep you, uh, it appears in verses 1, 3, 6, 21, and now in 24. At 13 as well. Seems like an important concept, an important word, right? This word, keep you. So now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy to God our Savior... Who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. So now, did this seem kind of different? Everybody that's been with us as we went through the book of Jude, or if you've been tuning in with us in, online, uh, does this kind of seem different than everything else we've seen from the book of Jude? Alright, just for a refresher, anybody remember what was happening in verse 1? It says, Jude, a bondservant, or a dulo, right? This is a slave of Christ Jesus and brother of James. To those who are called, another translation of this word called is, guess what? Kept. To those who are called, sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ. Mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Verse 3 is where this gets really important, right? So remember, beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation. So what did Jude want to talk about in this whole letter where he's been rebuking false teachers? He wanted to talk about the, the feel-good side of things, right? He wanted to talk about what it, what it meant to actually be called and sanctified into the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he wanted to do. Right? And a lot of people won't feel good. So even though that's what they wanted to do and God called them another way, what will they do? They'll tickle your ears and give you feel good. Right? Because that's what's popular. 
That's what Jude wanted to do here. This is Jude, or Judas, or Judah, the brother of Jesus. He wanted to talk about how, guess what? Even I, when my brother was here on this earth, even I didn't believe what he was, what he was, what he was claiming, right? My mom's like, hey, you're crazy, right? Like, listen to him. He's serious about this. Strangers are starting to follow him. But James and Jude, or Judas... Both of them, and they, they acknowledge and admit in their letters, right, that while Jesus was here, it seemed too good to be true. It was only afterwards, it was only when they were in this upper room for that experience, right, seeing their brother beaten, whipped, maimed, and put onto a cross, right, watching him have his side stabbed, they watched this, their brother. And where it's really sad is some of them couldn't make it that far, right? They saw the beating and they were out. It was our sin that they were literally watching be acted out on Jesus, and that left a bad taste in their mouth. They, they couldn't watch it, right? So this same Jude, or Judas, who didn't believe while his brother was on the earth, said, hey... I've got to write this letter to you about the salvation that we have in common. Uh, in the very beginning of this, he speaks of this salvation as being preserved or kept. What does this mean? It means eternal, right? That once you have Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, there's nothing that you can do to be separated from that love because the love was not earned on your merit, right? So you can't lose something that you were never qualified to possess, and Jude is very, he's very emphatic about that in this letter that we've written, that we've read here in the book of Jude, right? So he says again in verse 24, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless. I love Chuck Smith's commentary on this because Chuck is very, uh, if you know anything about Chuck Smith from back in the day, he led the Jesus movement. It's really one of the, the ideology behind the Jesus movement of the 60s and 70s really helped to cultivate the, the, the spirit that is this church, right? Culturally, they were in a, a very similar position to where we are. They're coming off of war. They were coming off the Vietnam War, right? They're, they're coming off of, of, of racial tension, right? They're coming off of segregation. We're coming off of wars, right? We're coming off of one of the most divisive racial periods in the history of the U.S., right? We're, we're commonly seeing young men gunned down in the streets. We're commonly seeing our, our, our police brothers and sisters who are fearful and have to check their bulletproof vest to make sure just in case anything happened that they're, that they're equipped, right? So we're coming off of a time... When this country, it, like we said with the kids, it's as connected as it's ever been, but we're as disconnected as, we, as we've ever been. Right? So, in, in, in preparing this for us to share, so our world is so full of, of instant gratification, right? This is a society of, what have you done for me lately? Everybody agree there? Right? It's not... You know, and it's the same with our relationship toward Jesus. Yeah, I know that you saved me from death and defeat, and, and you know, you gave me that victory, 
But I haven't hit the lottery lately, right? And my house, it's the same house I've always lived in. So our faith wanes, right? And, and not our salvation. Don't, don't, miscon- don't misconstrue that. It's not our, our salvation that wanes. Your salvation can't wane, right? It can never go away. But your faith decreases. Not because of anything that Jesus has not done for you, but more so the expectations that you have of something that was never promised to you. Last week we looked at Scripture, and what did Jesus say uh, very, very clearly in John 16.33 that this world will be full of troubles, right? Just... Just to show you this real quick, I'll flip. So John 16, if you want to flip along, if not, I'll read it for us. Uh, John 16, 31 through 33. So Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, has now come, that you will be scattered. So did Jesus promise that it was going to be, it was going to be awesome, right? And everything would be good. No, there will, the time will come when you'll be scattered. That's, that sounds very familiar, right? We, we have, we're just coming off of a time when none of us could be... Remember the six-foot rule? And then the six-foot rule became like the three-foot rule. At one point in time, it was like a 12-foot rule. And look, I'm not going to lie to you. I like my personal space. I love the 12-foot rule. Six-foot rule is like, eh, okay, right? Now we're back to three-foot, and it's like, okay, we can, you, know, you can back off me a little bit. To each to his own and will leave me alone. So everybody will be scattered and they'll leave the presence of God. That doesn't sound anything like today. And yet I am not alone because the Father is with me. These things I've spoken to you that in me you may have peace. So we're forgetting the security of where our peace comes from, right? Remember we we have this instant gratification. What have you done for me lately? And look very clearly, you're not alone because the Father is with me, right? And these things I've spoken unto you, that in me you have peace. In the world you, ha- you will have tribulation. Uh, so I know a lot of us are younger and we're not hip on the word tribulation, right? So remember early 2000s, Kirk, Camula- Kirk Cameron? Like tribulation was a scary word. We understood it then, right? Like I... So, look, let me just tell you guys. When we were kids, we would go to my Aunt Debbie's house. And Marcus, Austin, Cassidy, they can all tell you this is verify this. Debbie had the dopest VHS collection on the face of the planet, right? And sometimes, we were, you know, we would just get our, our Disney DVD or our Disney VHSs. We would rent from her, right? And then bring them back up and watch them, right? And then sometimes we wanted something scary, so we would watch the Left Behind movies. Y'all, tribulation meant something then, right? Like we knew what that word meant, and it was scary. So the word has kind of lost, it's lost its oomph a little bit in today's society. Uh, So in today's terminology, he says, in this world you will be wrecked, okay? You'll be wrecked. Nobody wants to be wrecked. But be of good cheer. Is that not crazy? Think about that. Jesus just said, like, literally, life is going to be as tough, as tougher than you could ever imagine. Right? But be of good cheer. You're like, that, that's, that's kind of hard when you just told me, like, people are going to spit on me. People are going to punch me. Right? I'm going to be scattered. We're going to live in a world that is disconnected. 
Hey, but have a good attitude about it. This is coming from Jesus. Uh, as we, we look uh, in the coming weeks, we're going to follow we're going to follow Jesus on literally on the road to Easter, right? Because I believe as a church, and I say this not as us, but as a, as a body of believers overall, we've forgotten the path that led to the cross, right? And, and each year, we, we have our little Easter. We invite everybody, right? People come to church. That's their one time a year, right? Some of them is Christmas. You've got you to take turns on which one can be your one time a year, right? All of a sudden... You bring out that Bible that you use one, less than one time a year. Man, Easter seems like a good time to use it, right? You have to blow off the dust on it and carry it in. And you're going to hear a message that you've heard before and it doesn't have any significance because you don't understand what led to the cross, right? So over the next three weeks, we're going to look at two weeks of... We're going to literally... We're going to look at John chapter 11. We're going to see the last straw, right? We're going to follow the road... And then we're going to lead up to Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, we'll look at the first three to four days of the week. And then on Easter, we're going to actually look, right? We're going to follow the last week of Jesus. Leading us out of Easter, we're actually going to follow... You know what? It's not enough in the world we live in to just hit Easter and then walk away and act like it never happened. So we're going to go back and we're going to follow what happened after the resurrection, that's a story that we need to follow on, right? We're going to follow those two guys that meet on the road to Emmaus and hear this story told from the mouth of Jesus, right? We're going to follow Saul and his transition to Paul that he can go and spread the word. The same guy who helped put Jesus on the cross is going to lead other people and tell them to carry their cross. But before he can do that, he first has to carry his own cross. We're going to watch all this happen. We're going to read this. We're going to digest these scriptures together. Because it's not enough to pretend like it never happened. And that's exactly what Jude was telling us in this letter. You guys remember when we looked at Matthew 23 and we looked at the seven woes. If we were using the, the New King James that day, there would have been eight woes, right? But the seven woes... And I know you guys have to remember this. Woe to you, Pharisee. You what? What was the word? You hypocrites. So Jesus didn't, he didn't hold back any punches, guys. He didn't say, hey, I need you to change, but I don't want to hurt your feelings. And that's what, that's what the church is trying to do, right? If something is uncomfortable, let's just act, let's avoid that one in general. And Jesus came at the Pharisees with all that he had, with all that they did wrong. But he did it in a way that me and you have to learn from. Because as we followed those seven woes, it was all done with love, right? It wasn't condemnation, it was correction. He wanted to see them have a better life. The same is true for me and you, right? I'm, everybody that's been here along this journey as we planted this church, I, I can honestly say, sometimes maybe even like hurt your feelings a little bit, but we've never preached a watered-down gospel. Because we, we live in a world that you can't do that. Do you know what Chuck Smith of the 60s and 70s, right? This Jesus movement. This time that came off of war, right? This time that came off of the most racial tension and divide up to that point that this country had seen. Do you know how he did it? With love. But a love that was not afraid to correct. 
So I've got a Chuck Smith quote here at the end of this. Uh, So Chuck says, you can't witness, this is Chuck Smith, you can't witness to everybody alike. Amen. Some of them you've got to scare the hell out of them, and some you have to draw in by love. Think about that. So some people, you remember that show Scare Tactics, right? They literally just scared people. That was like the prank. It's like, ha ha, we almost gave you a heart attack, right? Like that's some people. That's some people's faith wall, right? That, that has to be done that way. That's the only way that they will see Christ. Other people need love and affection, right? There's a book by Gary Chapman called The Five Love Languages. Everybody receives love differently, okay? So some people you have to draw with love. Some with compassion, making a difference. Others, by fear, pulling them out of the fire. So in other words, some people, you have to do good things for them, right? You have to just show them that you love them. And that shows them Christ. It's the reason why we go out into the community here and we give things away. People, I love when people get to come and serve with us for the first time when they have the question asked to them. Because they always turn around and look at me with a smile. We always warn, not warn, we always tell you that when you come and just serve the community, they're always going to ask you, what's the catch? Right? And I always prep people so that when it happens, they're not just like, oh, I don't know. I don't know. Right? I always warn people so that when it does happen to you, you can smile at them and say, we just, we just want to be a light, right? We just want to show you the same love that Jesus showed. What was really sad is this pastime that we, we, gave away, we gave away soup. And I'll never forget, I'll never forget this now. This came from someone who was a non-believer, Right? And she looked at me, dead in my eyes, square in my eyes, and she said to me, what are y'all like, Jehovah Witnesses or something? And I said, no, no ma'am. You know, we, we, believe in, we believe in Jesus Christ. She said, well, I figured you must have been Jehovah Witnesses because them Christian people don't do stuff like this. Is that not a charge on the church? We have have a guy named Mr. David, right? And I always go find him when we do anything. I go find him and make sure that he gets one of whatever we do. I was out in a neighborhood when we first started doing our giveaways, just kind of like telling people, hey, come this Saturday, we'll be giving stuff away. And this was was as as much a charge to me as I've, I've had in a long time to make me realize that as a church, we're doing exactly what God called us to do. So I'm down in the neighborhood, and Mr. David looks at me and he goes, Brother, can I tell you something? I say, yes, sir. We've been having a conversation. And he says, them white preachers don't come down here. I said, yes, sir. Well, we're not exactly worried about, you know, about that. We, we want everybody to, to know that we love them. He said, no, no, no. He said, I can tell. You know, just by talking to you, I can tell you love me. He said, I just wanted you to know, them white preachers, they don't come down here. This is how bad it is, guys. Mr. David will pass us a lot of times on Wednesday nights on his bicycle, mind you. You'll see his CVS bag or his family dollar bag full of supplies. 
And he goes down to his house down there. And they have church. David will tell you this. They have church in his house or in his driveway. Because that's where they feel comfortable. We have driven people away from the church to the point that house churches are the only place that they feel comfortable now. This is exactly, we have become the exact kind of people that Jude is warning us about. What's beautiful about this ending is it's what's called a doxology. And I know you guys are probably like, I've heard that word before, but like I don't know what it means, right? And actually, you know what, I know you guys, that's none of y'all, but just in case, I'll explain what it means for anybody that that might not be, okay? So a doxology is made up of two Greek words. We have doxa, right? This is glory, splendor, this is grandeur. This is something worth praising, right? On the second side of this, we have the word logos, right? This is, this is the word, right? This is a speaking, this is an announcement. So when we put these two words together, right, we have literally an announcement of glory, an announcement of praise. These last two verses of Jude are an announcement of God's glory. The rest of it has been straight up Jesus, right? He's telling us what we're doing and how we can avoid it. So Jude doesn't just say, hey, you do this wrong. He says, and here's how we fix it, right? He gives us an escape from sin. Do you know what someone who will condemn you will do? They'll just tell you how bad you are and they'll walk away. Right? This is how evil you are, you sinful person. And then they just walk away. They, they offer no, they offer no you know, escape of hope, right? They offer no course of correction. They just tell you how bad that you are and then go and walk away. These are the kind of people, the ones that we've become, that Jude is warning us about. So in this, in this uh, doxology, right, this, this speaking of love, this speaking of glory, we have, we have Jude explaining to us how Jesus is able to do three things. He is able to keep us. Remember we talked about how this word keeps repeating, right? This idea of, of preserving us until the end of time, right? The second thing he's able to do is able to sanctify us. So he doesn't just keep you. Guess what? He makes you blameless. Not on your own merit, right? He makes you blameless by his glory. By his merit. Who do you know that does that for you guys? That literally, think about this. You ever been to, the, to, to like a, a drive through line, Right? And you're like, oh yeah, because guess what? They say, actually the person in front of you has already taken care of it. That's Jesus in our lives, guys. Right? You, you literally, you've stacked up this order of sin. Right? You've stacked up this life of distance from Him. And He says, you know what? I've already taken care of it. Please tell me that y'all are the kind of people that keep it going, okay? Don't be that person. So one time, I'm not, a little sidetrack here. So one time I'm going through McDonald's. I think I've told this story before. So I, I've got, literally I'm picking up me and Finley a biscuit. Two sausage biscuits. So it's like 378. You know what I'm saying? And I get to the thing. And uh, they're like, you know, actually the person in front of you has already paid for it. And I'm like, awesome. That's so cool. I don't look behind me. Okay. 
I don't look behind me. I look behind me once I've paid for this and, and thought to myself, what in the world? But they ask me, do you want to keep it going? Absolutely. Slap that thing. She said, well, just so you know. I forget what it was. It was like, she's like, it's uh, $76.78. I'm like, what the crap do you order McDonald's for $76? <laughs> so I'm like, oh, man, what did I just do? Okay, whatever. You know, God is good. And so I keep going. And I get to the I get to the next like you know the, the 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 pickup window. I look behind me. It's like one of those Pickens construction trucks full of guys. So I have to ask them. I see them like stacking up drinks, and I'm like, "What? Can I just ask you what did I just pay for?" She's like, "Uh, you just paid for like eight number fours, right? Uh, a couple extra biscuits." I'm like, "Okay, but at least at least they're not going hungry today, okay?" And what's crazy? Like I'm not I'm not being funny and I'm, this is not like like false gospel. But we're pulling away from there. I never carry I never carry cash in my wallet. Never. Right? I'm like, okay. You know, that was that's cool. Hope they have a good morning. And I open my wallet. Like I don't I don't carry cash. Y'all, there's like eighty bucks in my wallet. Don't know where it came from. Not even gonna lie to you. Like no joke. I'm like, okay, God, I see what you're doing. You know, good God, right? So that's exactly what, what, what Jude is telling us about our God, right? That the goodness of God is not defined by us, right? And the eternal inheritance that we have is not on our own merit. It's not by our grace, I promise you. Whew, I ain't graceful. I know Alex is surprised by that. He's like, man, you look dainty and, and like you could just do ballerina moves. Right? Oh, this is a different kind of grace, Alex. We got it wrong. Right? So God is able to keep us. Right? So He offers us eternal protection. Right? That's forever. Or guarding us forever. He sanctifies us. So He makes us without fault. Makes us blemishless. Pays for our debt. And the third thing that He does is to save us. No one of these things is more significant than the other because they all depend on one another, right? So all three of these things, and, and, and the beautiful part, is they're all on His ability, right? I promise you it ain't on my ability. If we all had to get, on, if we all had to, get to heaven on Caleb's works, we, uh, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, right? Am I right? Right? So second... We got a set of five things, and these are characteristics of our God who loves us, right? That keeps us, that sanctifies us, and saves us. So He is worthy of praise. How often do you actually just stop and praise God? Because wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jude's warned us, right? How many people will say, I need a Tesla? Okay, right? And they'll pray for that, right? Or, I need to pass this, this test, right? They'll pray for that. Uh, the I need list, the I want list, the me, me, me list, right? Our instant gratification list. But how often do we stop to praise, right? Thank you, God, for, right? Thank you, God, that you, thank you, God. All of our prayers can't be I need, I need, I need, I need. Because we start to sound like a, a stingy little kid, right? 
And while Jesus does say to be like a child, that ain't how he meant it. He meant for us to have a childlike wonder that was always just amazed by him and what he does for us. For us to have a childlike faith that needs no reason or explanation that he says I am, so we say you are. Right? Back in, 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 in Deuteronomy, when, when Jesus is announced through God and God says that he is the great I am, right? When he says I am Yahweh and my son will be called Yeshua, which is Yahweh saves. Jesus' name literally means God saves. Think about that. Right? If you follow the Hebrew, Jesus' name actually means that God does what he says he does. And this can only be accomplished if the characteristics of God are as follows, right? That he is glorious. He is majestic. He is powerful. He is authoritative. And most importantly, this one does. He is eternal. He's without beginning and he's without end. We, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. There, there are people that, that get into these debates and discussions like, did the fall of the, of the angels happen before or after the creation of the earth? Don't matter. Why? Because God was. Right? Did the, was the earth actually made in a, in a physical six days? Don't matter. Because God is. Right? If He wanted to make it in six days, you know what He did? He made it in six days. If this was just Moses giving us a metaphorical interpretation, guess what? That's perfectly fine because God is. We, 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 we have too much of, a, of an importance on ourself, right? That we have to understand things from a human standpoint. My little mind can only comprehend so much. There is something beautiful about realizing this world is so much bigger than I can ever comprehend. And I'm fine with it. As a matter of fact, the fact that I'll never be able to fully comprehend the beauty around me lets me know just how glorious God is. Right? The fact that just the right amount of, of X and Y chromosomes come together and intricately and delicately make me, me, and make you, you, right? That these uh, SSRIs, these uh, cerebral, I don't know what they even are, right? But they give you personality, right? We're all pudding, right? We're all pudding, let me tell you that. Some of us are vanilla pudding, some of us are chocolate pudding, some of us are tapioca, I love you anyways, right? And some of us are unicorn, which is just vanilla church stuff, okay? Just so you know. If you ever see that, that unicorn pudding, you get curious. It's just vanilla with a little more color, okay? But regardless, we are all made in His image, right? And the beautiful thing about life is that we're all made just a little different. No, none of us any more, none of us any less. That's what Jude is warning us about. To stop being so big-headed. To think that I am more important or more significant than anybody else. To think that you are more important or more significant than anybody else. Because when you get that mindset, you're the same Pharisees that Jesus called out and said, you hypocrite. Right? Because you've made it about you. Do you know the great thing about the Gospel so the, the Greek word for gospel is euangelion, right? And it's this announcement, kind of like a doxology, right? So the, the doxology is, is literally a song of praise, right? 
So this euangelion, this gospel, this good news, is a shout of glory. Jesus is who he said he is. I've had people that have asked me before, you know, so what's the gospel? And I kind of get this little, little evil grin on my face, okay? Because they're wanting some big elaborate thing they can trap you with, right? Oh, well, you didn't include this part, or you didn't include that part. And I always tell them the same thing, right? You ready for this? Jesus is who he says he is. That's the gospel. Well, what about? Yep, Jesus said it, so he is, right? Well, what about this other part? Yep, Jesus said it, so he is it. We, we try and overcomplicate things, guys. We, we want it to be more complicated than it is. And it could be complicated if it was up to you, if it was up to me. Let, me. let me show you a quote real quick, and I think I have this one on here. It's from a lady named Ann Voskamp. I like to show uh, quotes about our subjects from minorities, from women, from people who don't otherwise have their voice heard in the church, right? So Anne Voskamp is, a, is a, an American philosopher and an author. And Anne says that a, lot, a lack of doxology leads to depravity. So in, in Belton terms, we don't give God enough praise, and that's why we're in the position we're in. Think about that, guys. Well, why, why, why me, me, me? Because you're, you're, you're not praising God, God, God for who He is. Right? Another quote uh, from a guy named Sam Storms, again, a philosopher, an author, a theologian. And Sam Storms says, The ultimate goal of theology, oh, y'all, this is going to hurt somebody's feelings. The ultimate goal of theology isn't knowledge, but worship. Because people want to, to have these, accl these, these acclimates, right? They, they want, I want these, these seven you know, authoritative names in front of my name. I'm Dr. such and such with a PhD and all this. And you, you might have grasped the knowledge portion of things, but you don't understand the compassion. Knowledge without compassion is an empty book. The ultimate goal of theology isn't knowledge, but worship. If everything that you learn, if everything that you strive after doesn't point you back to God, then it was all in vain. You did it for self. Our, our study, right, hopefully, guys, and I encourage us, even if I like give you, I give us homework sometimes, even if I give you a verse, right, and you read a verse of Scripture, then think about where you're at. You're above the 36% of people that use their Bible less than one time per year. You want to know where that statistic, I saved a little bit of it, where this statistic about connected devices versus Bibles gets scary. The average person spends 210 minutes per day. That's three and a half hours in case you were wondering. 210 minutes per day on connected devices. And that's only if we talk about phones and tablets, computers. Hey, y'all, if we include the television as a connected device, we shoot up over six hours per day. All right? You're like, yeah. 
Those are rookie numbers. We need to get that up, okay? Do a lot of binging. All right, here's where it's scary, scary. So those people that use their Bible, right? So if you wonder what that equates to, that's less than 36 minutes per year. There's 365 days in a year, right? 36 minutes. So what does this equate to? We're talking seconds per day. And not even like whole seconds, but like milliseconds per day. Well, I don't have time to read the Bible. You have actually about 210 minutes that you can find some time with. The reason why we went through the book of Jude, right, right before we went into Easter, right before we went into the resurrection, is I wanted to warn us. Right? I wanted to, to make a very clear indication of us of where the trajectory of church is headed versus where we need to get it back to. Y'all, we had, a, we had a, a camper stop by last week, right? When we were outside. We were just all kind of having some fellowship time. And my ultimate goal for this place, right, has always been that when people look in, that they see, what, y'all know what I'm going to say, Billy Graham tent revival meets coffee shop, right? Like it just comes together, right? That people are not afraid to have a good time together. The only way that you can have a good time together is to realize we're all imperfect, right? If everybody's so worried about putting on a play pretty face that you can't get comfortable with one another, then that can never happen. We have this camper stop by. Y'all, I tried. I did try to invite them in. Did I not? But he stops by and he says, y'all got any donuts? And like, we normally used to keep donuts, right? And then they just go stale because only like one person eats donuts. I was like, no, sir. And he goes, oh, I thought y'all was a coffee shop. Man, it finally happened, right? We were having a good enough time with one another at church, mind you, that someone passed by and said, you know what? I'm going to go give that place a try. You know what? Again, this is the world we live in, right? People are as disconnected from the gospel as they can be, right? But I like to think, see, God plants seeds, right? We, we expect, again, instant gratification. The way that the world wants this to work is we invite him in, he comes in, he accepts Jesus, and then we're like, oh, you don't even live near here, so I hope you do the best, right? But in reality, I think that we did a great thing because a seed was planted. Now that guy and his wife go and leave and go, you know what? Didn't they say there were a church? There were people smiling out there, right? There were kids running around having a good time out there. A seed was planted. We can't expect instant gratification. and uh, there's, It's the same reason, again, we're different, right? We're, we're, and we're not afraid to be different. It's the same reason that we don't have traditional altar call, right? Where you let somebody raise their hand and, I don't know, figure it out, right? If, if you are at a place where you want... That conversation, it is literally that. It's a conversation, right? This isn't a... I I take it very, very seriously when Jesus says at the last day, right, that there's going to be a lot of people that says, Lord, Lord. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Because they didn't actually know what it was, right? They didn't actually know what it was that they were saying they believed. And we've talked about far too many times now, guys, that that following Jesus is an all-or-nothing 
right? You, you can't be partially in on following Jesus. Remember, we use the term mathetes, right? This is an apprenticeship to Jesus. You know what an apprentice does? He can't just work the job. In his off time, he has to study the job. Because if not, he'll only be as good, right? Look, Randy and Jonathan are like, oh, trust me, we've trained plenty, okay? We understand this. And the ones fall through that aren't, they're not willing to make that extra commitment, right? The sad part is the last day will be just like that. There's going to be a lot of people that said, I don't know, raise my hand. Well, what'd you believe? I don't know, it was the impulse buy. Right? And that's why for us, uh, so every week, this is going to be different for some people, and we're okay with that. Every single week, we do communion, right? And we actually talk about why we're doing communion. We're not just hitting it that three times a year. I love when Braylon is here. This, this is Corey's nephew. I love when Braylon is here because I have never in my life seen someone so excited about communion. And the first time that he got excited about it, after service, he comes and he asks me, he says, you know, I know what we read, but like, what did it mean? We're never going to understand what it meant for Jesus to take on the cross if we only talk about it once a year. So this whole idea of, of we, we talk about how disciples do what? What does a disciple do? And make disciples, Right? Uh, on Wednesday nights, we go through uh, a, a curriculum called Multiply, and it's exactly about that, right? And the beautiful thing about Multiply is we, we have, uh, have it so that we can literally just share it with anybody, right? If you want to read the whole book, Multiply, it's by Francis Chan and David Platt. We have it available that you can just download it and read it. If you want to follow along with the video series and learn what it means to make disciples, what a disciple is, you can do that. But to make disciples is going to involve this little thing called courage. Right? And courage involves in both an attitude and actions. Attitude and actions. So it's a heart movement, right, that becomes a physical representation. It starts here, and then it goes out. So it's both an attitude and actions. Public worship... Heaven forbid a person raise their hands during some worship, y'all. We all been there, right? All of us have been there where, where you're in a place where, man, heaven forbid, oh, well, he must have something going on in his life if he's got a... Or an, if you just want to go and pray, right? You know what that should mean? It should mean people going, oh my gosh, thank you so much that the Spirit is working in that person. But instead it turns into, hmm, I wonder what he's doing. What's he got to be sorry about? Hopefully the same thing that you need to go and be getting on your knees about right now. Public worship involves courage to be vulnerable. And to give God the glory that He truly deserves. Can, can I tell you all a secret? When you sing songs of worship and praise, right? Some people will tell you, and here we'll, we'll do kind of modern songs. We do hymns, right? It's all over the place. Whatever we feel like helps convey the message of, of what God is laying on our hearts that week. And you'll have people inherently that say, well, I didn't like, I didn't like that. Well, that's good because we weren't singing about you. 
I've had to tell somebody that, y'all. I didn't like that song. That's okay, because the song wasn't, you know, it wasn't about you. Oh. Yeah, this this is not your, you know, it's not radio, okay? You don't turn it to what makes you feel good, right? You, You use worship to connect yourself to the Lord. And the only way that we can do that is being vulnerable to give them the glory and the credit that he deserves. So again, I've already shared the statistics with you. But to close this and the thought that I want to leave you with, in a world of connectivity, we are the furthest removed from our relationship and pursuit of God in history. We have the most access that we've ever had. But from a statistical standpoint, from Barna, following back as long as we've been able to track things, we are the furthest removed from God that we've ever been. I always warn y'all when I'm going to say something offensive, here it goes. If you feel like that's not true, then you need to open your eyes. I love, I'm going to love it even better. Don't don't get me wrong when we're in the bigger space, right? But the thing I love about being right here where we are in the square with these big windows, especially from the angle that I get to see it, just take a second and turn around and look. Just watch for for five or six seconds. And what do you notice? A lot of cars. Do you know what I see when I see all those cars? opportunities because we're in church hours right now right this is bible belt you like heaven forbid you go with a crazy time for a church service right we're in the middle of one of those gaps for a church service and look how much traffic there is yeah but i feel like i feel like you're wrong this ain't exactly a big town guys to see all these cars and these people who are not actively plugged in and pursuing the Lord together. There's something crazy about being a family, right? And I love this family of people because when we got everybody in-house, it is a diverse group, okay? Just to say the least. It is all over the place. It's all over ethnical boundaries. It's all over socioeconomic, which is uh, like the money scale, right? It's all over the place. That's what church was supposed to look like. If uh, oh, oh, let me just let me just brace myself for the scowls I may see. If you go into church, right, and it's a bunch of white people your same age, right, you ain't got a church. You got a social club because you've missed the point of what it means to gather. I'm going to pray for us real quick. We'll let the kids know to come down, uh, and we'll actually have communion. Uh, So over on the side over here, uh, so there's a little board. Uh, It's got sticky notes. These are where we write our prayer requests. Uh, We have communion cups right here in the little basket, and our tithes and offerings go in the bucket. Uh, There's Bibles. Tara, notice something about the Bible? It's full again, right? I always tell people, don't be afraid to take a Bible because when you take one, we've got another one to go in its place. I don't want to see anybody be without access to the Word of God. Mr. David, the last time I got to talk to him, 
Hey, Caleb. I said, yes, sir. He said, I know y'all got a lot of them Bibles. I said, David, go ahead and ask. He said, can I get some of them Bibles? I said, absolutely. So we sent him away with some Bibles. Because I want to see the Word of God spread. So let me pray for us real quick and bring our kids down so that we can enjoy communion together to think about what it is that we, we actually are, are remembering through the act of communion. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we just pray that today, God, that we never take for granted any opportunities, Lord, to gather, Lord, to just spend time in Your Word, Lord, to spend time in Your presence, God. The only way to know You is to spend time with You, God. And the only way that we can truly know You, Lord, and spend time with You, God, is, is through Your Word, God. And I just pray that as we leave this place, Lord, we not be afraid to spend that time, Lord, to just give up this time away of things that rot our minds, Lord, that take us away from You and give You the glory and the praise that You deserve. In Jesus' name, Amen. You want to go so when Austin gets back, just in case anybody ever wondered, we'll take a second and uh, and let our kids come back down. So between us and our kids currently is so there's technically two locked doors there and then a locked door at the top. So there are three locked doors between us and our kids. If you've not been up stairs in our kids' space. It's a lot of space, okay? It's a big, wide-open space back on the backside. So if, if a kid ever even gets away, guess what? They're just running around in open space. Uh, when we get over to the other side, I'm excited because it, everybody that's seen in, there's, there's a good bit of space. And our kids, what I'm going to do is, is actually put some kind of smaller chairs have you ever watched when we're when we're doing our when we're when we're doing worship? Have you ever watched and realized the kids are all looking at each other? They want to be connected with each other. So we're gonna have that little bit of space for them over there on the other side that before they go up, they can have their little space together. Right? That those kids can feel like a family. It's not just an older or a younger people thing. We want everybody to, to feel connected like they're family.